before we begin, uh, this is mostly for me, but I'm inviting you into this. Um, I want us to help kind of prepare ourselves. Um, so this is the thing I teach kids. It's called a breath prayer. It's really easy. If you can um, breathe, you can do this. Um, and so when we breathe in, I want you to think about the things that you need. And it could be whatever. If you are hungry, it can be food. Um, but if you're needing a space to just be yourself, it could be that. It can be lack of stress. It can be whatever you want. So think about that. And then when you breathe out, I want you to think about the things you need to let go of. Stress, anger, frustration, tiredness, perfection, whatever it is. Okay? It's really easy. Okay? So we're just going to breathe. So let's breathe. So breathe in whatever it is that you need and breathe out whatever it is you need to let go of. Okay? Again, breathe in and breathe out. Go ahead and relax your shoulders because you're tense. And breathe in and breathe out. You are loved. You are the beloved. And you are a reflection of divine love. And you are enough. So if you are a person and that is all you need to hear, that is okay. There is no expectation when we come into worship of what we have to bring and what we have to offer. And that is really difficult. I'm a preacher's kid and a preacher's grandkid. And there is a piece of me that has nervousness around the fact that my parents might see the sermon. Like, we understand my theology, but we don't talk about my theology. And that's okay. Like, that's just like part of life. And I think what is really beautiful about worship in spaces like this is that we do not have to have like perfection to come into this space. We don't have to be a certain age. We don't have to have a certain background. We do not have to have a certain understanding. And that is why I think worship with kids is absolutely beautiful because guess what? They just show up and they're present. That is what they do. And to me, that is an example of how we are called to worship. Now, side note, this entire sermon has nothing to do with worship. That's just me calming myself down. Um, so this is how we start sermons, right? Everyone thinks that there's this whole big... Um, process that is big and beautiful and like deep and theological and I will tell you how I start sermons. I avoid them and procrastinate like crazy because I don't know what to do with them. I always think it has to be this perfect thing. And then I get into my head because I'm deconstructing all my stuff too, but I work for a place that is mostly talking to people who are deconstructing, so I should be a little bit further along, right? No, that's not at all the case. There are things that I am, like, this week having to throw out the window, and I'm like, oh, that makes me sad, because I love it. And then there are things that I've thrown away that I realize I've picked back up because they connect me back to God. And what I think is beautiful about deconstruction and faith shifts and whatever language you want to put with it is that it is not perfect. There are tools and guides out there, but the reality of it is none of us can explain to someone else the exact next step. And there should be freedom in that. And that is beautiful, and that is divine, and that is holy, and that is okay. And to be honest, I think that is perfect. Not the perfection of the world, but a perfection of something bigger and greater than ourselves. And that's enough. So if you're a person that needed to hear that, and that's it, you're good. But for some of us, we are at a space where we have built and we have torn down and we started to build something back, and then we may have torn down something else, and we're in these kind of weird wilderness moments. 
And it may be faith-wise, but it may also be social-wise, it may be justice-wise, it may be identity-wise, it could be all kinds of stuff. Because we are very complicated pieces of creation. And, and I know that can be overwhelming. I'm a four on the Enneagram, so if you know anything about the Enneagram, I like sit and rest in this fact that it is big and it has feelings and I am just at joy in the absolute unknown. And I have discovered that that is a, that is a blessing for me. And so I'm in this space where I have built and I have torn down and I have built and then I built something else and it was absolute trash. Um, and so that was really bad. And I've had to repent of my, the terrible theology I have taught lots of people. And that is the reality of it. So what do we do now that we're in this space where we have shown up today, whether online, um, in this room, whatever it is, in some way, shape, or form, you have made the decision to purposely connect with Grace Point. You have made that choice. And you are, I assume you are very clear on our thoughts and theology of how we believe this is supposed to like, play out. So what do we do when we're in this space where all that we're holding is literally whatever we decided to keep on to? The thing is, I don't know. And I don't know doesn't feel very hopeful, but I promise you it is. So when we look to scripture, I'm gonna read scripture today, so just get ready. So breathe if that is what you need to do first. Um, so, and I'm gonna read Old Testament too, so that's fun. <laughs> but in the scripture, I, I love the prophets. And I love the prophets because the way the prophets talk um, is in this way that makes absolute no sense. And it doesn't make sense then, it doesn't really make sense now, but at some point it does. Like there's something about it that's like clarity comes over a piece of it. And it's not all of it. It may be like literally one line that is said, but that one line is the one thing you needed to hear in that one moment to transform you and move you to something new. And so that's why I love it. So in Isaiah 58, that's where I'm gonna read from, um, before all of this, the story of Isaiah is a lot of like ups and downs and mistakes and calling out sin and do this and don't do that. It's a lot of just, it's not hopeful in any way, shape, or form. And then we get towards the end of Isaiah and it's all about this idea of building the kingdom of God. And I assume if we've been in church at all, we have probably heard the phrase or the ideology about building the kingdom of God. And so I want to challenge us to not look at it as the kingdom of God anymore, and I'm going to tell you why in a second, but to look at it as the kingdom of God, very specifically switching and purposely changing the language from an empire language to something that is more about kinship and family. So in Isaiah 50, uh, 58, hear these words. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob, their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practices righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgment. They delight and draw near to God. So when you heard that, I want you to be honest with yourself. Who did you think of? Because if you're like me, you thought of those people you left behind. Those people who claim to be Christians, who are claiming to do God's work, who are claiming all of these things. They're claiming to build the kingdom of God. And the reality of it is, I will very confidently say, they have returned to empire thinking. 
Jesus said, flip the kingdom upside down. Let me show you how to do that. And I think modern Christianity, and especially Christianity in the United States, has turned the kingdom right back up, where the entire church is the empire. The entire church is full of privilege and power and money and wealth and oppression. And most of the time, we are the ones oppressing. And I say we because I've done it. There's no one in this room except, I'm going to claim kids that have not been, at some point in time, the oppressor. And that's hard. That's a really hard reality. Because in my deconstruction, I wanted to leave everything behind and move into this space where I can fight for justice, I can speak boldly, I can do all these things, and I am in the right mindset, in the right heart, to do the right thing for the kingdom of God. And the reality of it is, I've cut off an entire piece of my family, which means I've cut off an entire image of the divine which is hard because I don't, and this is something I'm wrestling with, I don't think we can stand for when people do injustice. I don't think we can do that. I also don't think we can stop loving them in those moments either. And that is really, really hard. They're not my enemy, okay? Like, they're not. They have forgotten who they are. They have forgotten that they are a reflection of divine love. They have forgotten who they, their head, heart, and hands are no longer aligned with Christ. And that's not a shameful thing. And that's not something I'm going to go up to someone and be like, hey, by the way, you're wrong. Like, I can't do that. If y'all do not know anything about fours or introverts, like, that's not what we do. Um, but we can do something. And for me, that is reflecting on, like, what does it mean to be a part of this bigger thing, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of God. And so in this passage, the people go on and they're like, well, why are we fasting? Why are we doing all these religious things? Why are we going and trying to do this, trying to get God's attention constantly if God is not actually paying attention? And I think we do that as well in our deconstruction. We question why we did all these rituals, and that's not a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with questioning. I think where we get into a scary space is when we degrade others who still hold value to it when we forget that it can be true for them that communion is divine and more than just bread and juice or wine. When lifting their hands is the way they connect, and even though I will not be doing that, it's okay for me to quietly sit in the moment. I am just as close to God as they are. Anytime that we continue to build barriers and walls, we start building back an empire that God tried to flip upside down. Any time that we build something between us and someone else, it separates us, which is a very literal thing that we do. I'm not talking about a metaphorical wall. Like, we literally do these things where our friend groups and our community groups, everything looks like us, and that is not the image of God. Now, there are boundaries and there are barriers that we also have to take to protect ourselves. Some of us are not in the space to, like, love people who have really toxic theology. We're not. And the thing is, we don't have to be. And that's okay. Because the entire kingdom of God, the entire kingdom of God, the entire change of the world does not depend on me. It is not dependent on one individual person to get it all right to do this thing. That's why I do not think deconstruction can happen individually. And I think that's a lie that we've continued to tell each other, and I think it's because of shame. 
I think people are so nervous about the idea of questions because we've been fed lies and lies and lies that we can't question and we can't push back against anything with the church. And then when we start tearing that apart, I think we take on a lot of shame because we don't know what to do with it. And then we've perpetuated this idea that deconstruction and shifting and all that is an individual journey that you must take. Here's the thing. You can take your own journey, but you don't have to actually be alone on it. If you have ever gone hiking with someone, you could be on the same trail, and I guarantee you everyone's going to be at a different pace. There will be the person who is, they are gone, and they do not care what tree they just passed, they are getting to the campsite. And then there are people like me who will stop and look at every, every leaf, and it's beautiful, and I'll probably take a picture of it, and it will be annoying, and I will probably come up with a poem in my head about what's going on, and we had an entire conversation, and you never said a word, and you didn't even know we were talking. That's, that's how I function through this. But the thing is, we're on the same path, going the same direction, just at our own pace. And I think when we switch everything around and we start looking at the kingdom of God, we start recognizing people as family. We start looking at people as, as not like an enemy and not as a crazy person or not as an evangelical or conservative or whatever thing. We start looking at them as an extension of who we are. as a connection that we have with the rest of the world. And so for us who are in that space, what do we do now? Because we cannot keep building an empire that oppresses people. We know we are called to speak into it, to tear down walls, and to rebuild. And so, what does Isaiah say? So he goes on, and the people are talking about, why are we fasting? Why are we doing all this stuff? Um, and the response back is this. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Not just give them money, but share your actual bread. And to bring the homeless and poor into your home. Don't just build ministries that take care of it and don't just push them somewhere else. It literally says to bring them into your home, which is absolutely terrifying to me because I don't like people in my house at all. <laughs> when you see the naked, to cover them. And do not hide yourself from your own kin. And I want you to know that that is the part that ter terrifies me. It literally says the honest heart, the worship that we want, the fast that we want, this holy moment that we want is to be in connection with others and not to hide from them. Then it goes on and it says, if you do this, okay, like if all of this stuff happens, here's the hopeful part. Then the light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then you shall call and the Lord will answer. She'll cry for help and you will hear, and, and God will say, here I am. Now, all of that means literally nothing to me, except for there's a line in it that says that your light will break through. It doesn't say God's light is going to come down and shine over everything, and everything is going to be perfect. I think it's a moment of wholeness that we are invited into, a moment where we get to be a part of this loving expression of the divine to the rest of the world. Then it says, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in the parched places and make your bones strong and you shall be a watered garden. 
you shall be a watered garden. It means all this desert that we've been going through, it's not the end. For us to receive life is not to stay hidden away in our own spaces and to build our separate kingdom away from the rest of the world that is right or perfect or just. We are literally called to connect, to be a part of something more. We're not called to separate ourselves in the way that the church taught us, to put Christians and non-Christians, saved and unsaved. We're literally called to connect with people, to feed them, to love them, to invite them in, to extend this connection of family. And it goes on to say that we'll be a watered garden, that we will restore the streets that have been destroyed, that we will lift up and we will build. And Isaiah's entire moment in this time is to a people who thought they were doing it correctly. And I find that fascinating because in my deconstruction, every time I read something about transitions, in my head I've already done it. Like I'm beyond the Bible at this point. And that is a very big thing for me to say, like personally. But it's not true for me. It could be true for you, but it's not true for me. For me, I connect with these words. Because these words continue to call me into something beyond myself. They continue to call me beyond what I have decided the kingdom of God looks like. And so I've used the word kingdom a couple of times. And this, this term comes from, um, oh, I'm going to mess up her name. Mm, doc, nope, hold on. I wrote it down. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> Dr. Ada Maria Isla Diaz, that's what it is. So, that was a lot. So here is what I think is beautiful. So, she wrote this book essentially about Hispanic, Latina women's theology. It's a womanist theology. It is this feminist theology, and it is all centered around these, the life of these Latina women and their work and their everyday like things and how they connect to the divine still. She fought a lot for women's rights and religion. She did all of this stuff to make sure that women are also included into the kingdom. And she very purposely switched the language to kin. In the Latino culture and in other cultures too, like the idea of the familia is so intense. It is not this thing where you take your own and you hide and you run away. It is you see someone, and they could be multiple generations or more, multiple extensions away from you, but they are still part of yours. It's this idea of like, I have neighbors who do not speak English, and for some reason, they give me fruit. I do, I love it, I absolutely love it, but they have claimed me, and I will forever be a part of that. It's this idea that the kingdom of God needs to be kind of flipped again. And we can't go back to a kingdom because we already messed that up with national Christianity and American Christianity and all of this stuff that is even mediocre in the sense of, it may not be terrible, but it's still pretty bad theology. A theology that's pushed out people, a theology that has said you can't preach, you can't talk, you can't do these things, you can't hold these positions, you can't take communion, you can't serve and you can't wear those things, and if you have done X, Y, and Z, you cannot be a part of this. That is what we turned it back into. And so I think for us, we gotta just leave the empire altogether. We have to build something new and we've already been doing it. 
We have to continue to build a family. We have to continue to build something more than ourselves. And I think it takes humility, and I think it takes, I, I think it takes honest reflection of who we are and who we're trying to be. And I think that is the hardest part of all of this. Because for most of us, we wanted to get away from like, the icky feelings of being told we're not doing something right. And I'm literally telling us we're not doing something right. And that's hard for me too. I think it is awesome that we call representatives and we try. But I also at the same time feel like at, at some points, that's no better than sending up thoughts and prayers. And that's hard for me to say. Because I don't know what else to do. Do you know that you can sit online and look in the last 72 hours how many mass shootings have happened? Like there's an entire website just for us to keep up with it. And there's an entire section just for the last 72 hours because that's how bad it is. There are people who have made it to Grace Point and other affirming spaces who feel loved. But I'm telling you, there's still affirming spaces like I have been in them that don't fully love us. There are kids stuck in churches all across the world who cannot choose to go anywhere else. And they are told continually, day after day after day, that they are either going to hell or they are not part of the kingdom. Or if you're in certain denominations that are trying to be affirming, you get to just wait and wait and wait and wait to answer your call. And I was that kid. When we build these next things, there has to be action with it. And so that's why I want to challenge you. If you're in a space to take action, do it. And do not take mediocre action. Like, do something. <laughs> Call people. That's great. If that is your thing. If calling people is not your thing, go feed someone. If feeding people is not your thing, find something else. And if you have no clue, let's talk. Like, that's not, that's a real invitation. Let's talk. Let's figure it out. Because I'm not going to be a part of another church that's going to sit here and ap apathetically sit by and do nothing. Or just throw words at it. I'm not going to do it, and I won't, because I think when we move into apathy, we continue to erode the strings and the connection with the rest of humanity. Apathy will eat away at our soul. It will eat away at everything that is beautiful and divine in the world. It will destroy us, and there will be another generation that comes after us that looks at everything we did, and they're like, oh, not quite. They thought they were great. They thought they were moving in a good direction. They thought they were actually doing justice. They thought they were actually being inclusive. And my goal for Grace Point and for every kid and youth that we talk to is that we don't have to raise another generation that has to tear it all down again. And so that's it. That's all you got. Because that's all the words I have. And so as we, as we think about this, as we prepare our hearts and minds for what's next, and I don't just mean the music, but I mean like literally whatever we do next in life, the next moments, how can we be a more loving people? How can we be a more kind people? How can we be a people that extend grace to literally everyone? And that might just be in our heads, but I bet there's something in our heart that we can change as well. And I guarantee there is something with our hands that we can do. So let us be a people that line up our head, heart, and hands for the kingdom of God. 
and transition it to a true kingdom because I don't think we're there yet. Let's be a people that build and extend tables. And instead of just giving up our seats, invite other people to sit with us. A people that lift up others and don't shrink ourselves because we feel like we take up too much space. Let's be a people that are honest with our mistakes and our moments we have been oppressors. And let us be people who do whatever we can to make sure that the kids in this room do not have to do this again. Let's be a people that put all of our faith into action and not just talk about it anymore or post about it anymore. You can post too. I'm going to keep posting. But let's do something more with that. So let us pray.